Section 5. Gnosticism or the Kingdom of God Gnosticism will continue in various ways to undermine the Christian faith until the anthropology underpinning it and driving it is challenged and eradicated. Many Christians who want to challenge Gnosticism will not let go of the animistic anthropology driving it, and so their efforts to deal with it will come to nothing and will not change anything. Deal with this animistic anthropology and Gnosticism will be starved of what gives it life. It is pointless railing against Gnosticism unless one is willing to let go of the Greco-Roman conception of the soul on which it is based. This is what lies at the heart of it. So far, the Church, in all branches, has shown herself unwilling to abandon this false doctrine. The specter of animism still hangs over the Church's anthropology, and this is ultimately fatal to the further progress of the Great Commission. I believe that dealing with this issue is essential before further progress can be made. Animism is the belief in the existence of the soul. By the word soul, here I mean the concept of the soul in the pagan and Greco-Roman sense, not the soul in the biblical sense of nephesh, i.e. the breath of life. Catharism is probably the best known and most widely recognized of the many Gnostic heresies that were based on this belief and on the basic idea of salvation being the soul's escape from material matter, which was believed to be the creation of the Demiurge or Satan, not God, and its return to the divine essence of which it is believed to be a spark. This dualistic belief system emerged early in the church history and many different forms and manifestations from the early Gnostic sects to the Messalians, the Paulicians, the Bogomils and Cathars et al. But besides being manifested in these heresies, which were condemned as heresies by the Church, this dualistic perspective also manifested itself within the Orthodox Churches as a basic view of reality. The form, matter or spirit matter dualism of Plato and the Greco-Roman paganism was transformed into the grace-nature dualism of the medieval Roman church, which has continued in the church to the modern age, even in the Protestant churches, including the Reformed churches. This dualism is not just a belief about salvation, although it is, of course, but also an understanding of the nature or structure of reality itself. Anders Nygren called it the Alexandrian worldview. This is antithetical to the biblical view of reality, which has a completely different foundation, namely creation for redemption. This is not to say that Christians influenced by this dualistic principle do not believe in creation, fall, and redemption as biblical doctrines, but Rather, that these are not seen as the foundation of their understanding of reality, their theory of everything. Their Christianity, therefore, is conflated with this pagan dualistic idea and, as a consequence, is syncretistic. While this dualism continues to inform their ideology and their understanding of the nature and purpose of redemption, what they perceive as the upper story of reality, 
the spiritual world, will always be seen in antithesis to what they perceive as the lower story of reality, the world of physical matter. And so, their understanding of spirituality will be affected by this. This is about their understanding of the nature of reality. But of course, it does also impact their doctrine of redemption. Catharism flourished in the southwest of what is now France, Languedoc, in the 12th and 13th centuries, but the beliefs of this heretical sect go back way before this. Sometimes the Cathars are called Albigensians. The Cathars got their dualistic belief from the Bogomils. Our term bugger comes from this heretical sect because the Bogomils were Bulgarian. Bugger, which is a corruption of the term Bulgar, meant originally, therefore, a heretic, i.e. a follow of the Bulgarian heresy, Bogomilism. But it got associated with sodomy because the Cathars, who were followers of the Bulgarian heresy, were accused of being sodomites. As far as I can see, there is no evidence for this, but because they theoretically believed and taught that sex is wrong, because it leads to sparks of divinity being trapped in physical bodies, their opponents thought they must be engaging in unnatural sex, and so they were accused of sodomy. Quote, you believe that sex is sinful because it leads to childbirth? Well then, you must be a sodomite. End quote. Not very smart reasoning, to say the least. This accusation often occurs in such situations and it is sometimes difficult to tell if it is true. In the case of the Cathars, however, from what I have read, there seems to be no real evidence for this. The fact is that despite their theoretical rejection of sex, they did engage in sex, but extramarital sex was seen as less problematic. It was marital sex that they hated the most, because in their understanding, it was this that would most likely lead to childbirth. They had various devices of contraception that they used, some magical and useless, others perhaps a bit more likely to have some effect. This is one of the reasons why Catharism was really one of the worst heresies. The practical effects of this heresy were anything but removed from the world of everyday life. Catharism demonized marriage, or at least marital sex, but saw promiscuous extramarital sex as less problematic despite the theoretical condemnation of sex. Of course, Catharism is one particular manifestation of the Gnostic worldview. In saying that Gnosticism continues in some form, I am not saying that all those influenced by it accept all that the Cathars taught or all that the various other Gnostic sects taught. It is the basic dualistic view of reality and of the soul that is the problem, which can manifest itself in various different ways. From the biblical perspective, human beings do not have souls, i.e. they are not made of two irreconcilable bits, spirit and matter. This is the pagan view. Scripture tells us that when Jacob went down to Egypt, 70 souls, nefesh, went down with him. Genesis 46 verses 26 through 27. Does this mean that they went down as disembodied spirits and that their bodies remained in Canaan? 
Of course not. It means 70 human beings went down to Egypt. This is not the pagan Greco-Roman notion of the soul. The biblical notion of the soul is not the same as the Greco-Roman idea of the soul. Human beings are souls. God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he, i.e. the physical creation, became a living soul. I do not have a soul. I am a soul. When we die, the breath of life, nefesh, leaves us and we cease to be living souls. What makes us human is not the possession of souls, since the animals also have the breath of life, nefesh, see Ecclesiastes 3 verses 21, but rather our creation in the image of God. Until the Christians get rid of this last vestige of animism from their anthropology, they will fail to eradicate the spirit of Gnosticism, the Alexandria worldview, from their lives. And this pagan religious perspective will continue to hamstring their efforts to disciple the nations because the basic idea underpinning this view of salvation is escape from the world, not transformation of the world into the kingdom of God. The Bible does not teach a doctrine of spiritual deliverance from matter. It teaches deliverance from sin, which is the transgression of God's law and the resurrection of the body. Until that resurrection of the body, our job is to disciple the nations and therefore transform the world. The kingdom of God must grow until it displaces and replaces the secular and idolatrous social orders that dominate the nations. The Lord Jesus Christ will not return until the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The dualistic perspective works against this biblical agenda by replacing the Great Commission and the seeking of the kingdom of God on earth with an escapist agenda based on this false dualistic view of reality and salvation.